Chapter Seven of the Wonderful Adventures of Fra the Phoenician by Edwin Lester Arnold. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. In the days that followed, it seemed the cruise of contentment would never run dry, and I, foolish I, thought angry destiny had misled me, and that these green Saxon glades were to witness the final ending of my story. Vain hope, elusive expectation the hand of fate was even then raised to strike in that pleasant harbourage outside the ken of ambition and beyond the limits of avarice surrounded by almost impenetrable mazes of forest land life was delightful indeed the sun shone yellow and big in those early days upon our oak-crowned hillocks sometimes i doubt if it is ever so warm and ruddy now and december storms told mightily in praise of the great yule fires wherewith we defied the winter cold in the summer time when the sunny saxon orchards sheltered the herds of kine in their flickering shadows and the great droves of black swine lay a-basking among the ferns on the distant hangers we lived more out of doors than in editha then would bring out under the oaks the little ruddy-cheeked girth and set him upon my knee that i might cut him reed whistles or bows and arrows while the flaxen-haired agatha played about her mother tuning her pretty prattle to the merry clatter of the distaff and the wheel in the winter the blaze that went leaping and crackling from our hearthstone shone golden upon the hair of those little ones as they sat wide-eyed by me and saw among the ruddy embers the white horse of hengist and the banner of his brother winning those fertile vales for a noble saxon realm never was there a better saxon than i and when i told of harold and softened to those tender ears the story of his dying the bright drops of sympathy stood in my small maiden's eyes while girths flashed hatred of the false norman and scorn of the foreign tyrants under such circumstances it will readily be understood that i ought to have had little wish to draw weapons again or bestride the good charger growing so gross and sleek in his stall all this long peace-time and yet the silken meshes of felicity were irksome against all reason and i would grow weary of so much good fortune finding my pretty deckings and raiment heavier more burdensome wear than ever was martial harness my fair saxon wife noted these moods and strove to mend them she would take me out to the hawking were i never so gloomy and then i would envy the wild haggards of the rocks who got their living from day to day in the free mid-air and asked no favour of either gods or men or perhaps she would make revelries upon the level green before her homestead and thither would come all the fools and peddlers all the bear-baiters somersaulters and wrestlers of the shire but i was not to be pleasured so and i slew the bear in single combat and tossed vindictive the somersaulters over the hucksters stalls and broke the ribs in the restless sides till none would play with me and all the people murmured then of a night editha got the best gleeman in mercia to sing to me and when they sang of peace and sheep and orchards or each praised his lemon's moonlike eyes and slender middles i would not listen nor was it better when they tuned their strings to martial ditties for that doubled my malady since then their rhyming stirred my soul to new unrest making worse that which they sought to cure i sometimes think it was all this to do 
which brought Vorwood under Norman notice. But, perhaps, it was the slow and steady advance of the invader's power, percolating like a rising tide into all the recesses of the land, which drew us into the fatal circle of the despoilers, and not my waywardness. Be this as it may, the result was the same. Over to the northward, a score of miles away, where the great road ran east, we heard from wandering strollers the Normans were passing daily. Then, later, there came in the news-budget of a Flemish peddler tidings that the hungry foreigners had licked up all the fat meadows around the nearest town, had hung its aldermen over the walls, and built a tower and dungeon, after their want, in the middle of it. Yes, and these messengers of ill omen said there were left no men of note or Saxon blood to uphold the English cause. There was no proper speech in England but the Norman. There was no way of wearing a tunic but the Norman. Nothing now to swear by but Our Lady of Tor and Holy St. Bridget. All Saxon wives were in danger of kissing, and all Saxon abbots were become barefooted monks. Never was a country turned inside out so soon or quietly, and as I looked over our wide fair meadows, and upon my sweet girl and her flaxen little ones, and thought how, already for her, I had risked my life. I could not help wondering how soon I might have to venture it again. On a pace came the outer conquest into our inner peace. Towns and boroughs went down, and the hungry flames of lust and avarice fed upon what they destroyed. All the vales and hills the swords of Hengist and Horsa had won, and baptised with foeman's blood, in the mighty names of old Norsemen and Valhalla, were being christened anew to suit a mincing latter tongue. Thane and Franklin uncapped them at the roadside to these steel-bound swarms of ruthless spoilers, and nothing was sacred, neither deed nor covenant, neither having nor holding, which ran counter to the wishes of the western scourges of our English weakness. When I thought of all this I was extraordinarily ill at ease, and, before I could settle upon how best to meet the danger, it came upon us, and we were overwhelmed. Briefly it was thus, about twelve years after the battle where Harold had died, the Norman leader had, we heard, taken it into his head to poll us like cattle, to find the sum and total of our feus and lands, our serfs and orchards, and even of our very selves. Now few of us Saxons but felt this was a certain scheme to tax and oppress us even more severely than the people had been oppressed in the time of St. Dunstan, Besides this, our free spirits rose in scorn of being counted and weighed and mulcted by plebeian emissaries of the usurper. So we murmured loud and long, and those thanes who complained the bitterest were hanged by the derisive Normans on their own kitchen beams, on the very same hooks where they cured their mighty sides of pork, while those who complied but falsely with the assessor's commands were robbed of wife and heritage, children and lands, and shackled with the brass collar of serfdom, or turned out to beg their living on the wayside, and sue the charity of their own dependents. Whether we would thus be hanged or outcast, or whether we would humble us to this hateful need, writing ourselves and our serfs down in the great doomsday book, all had to choose. For my part, after much debating, and for the sake of those who looked to me, I had determined to do what was required, and then, if it might be, 
to bring all the saxon gentlemen together to raise these english shires upon the normans and with fire and sword revoke our abominable indenture of thraldom but alas my hasty temper and my inability to stomach an affront in any guise undid my good resolutions well this mighty book was being compiled far and wide we heard in every shire there were some men of good standing base enough to countenance it and taking the name of the king's justiciaries they got together shorn monks shaveling rascals who did the writing and computing with reeves hungry for their master's woodlands and many other lean forsworn villains this jury of miscreants went round from hall to hall from manor to manor with their scrips and pens and parchment until all the land was being gathered into the avaricious norman's tax-roll they cast their greedy eyes at last on sunny sleepy vorward though indeed i had implored every deity old or new i could recall that they might overlook it and one day their hireling train of two-score pikemen came ambling down the glades with a fat abbot a norman rascal at their head and pulled up at our doorway hullo there says the monk whose house is this mine i said gruffly with a secret fancy that there would be some heads broken before the census was completed and who are you the master of vorwood what else nothing else well you are not over civil anyhow my saxon churl said the man of scrolls and goose quills frankly i answered sir monk the smaller civility you look for from me to-day the less likely you are to be disappointed out with that infernal catechism of yours and have done and move your black shadows from my porch at this the clerk shrugged his shoulders no doubt he did not look to be a very welcome guest and coughed and spit and then unfurled in our free sunshine a great roll of questions and forthwith proceeded to expound them in bastard latin smacking of mouldy cathedral cells and cloister pedantry now mark me sir vorward and afterwards answer truly in everything here first i will read you the declaration of your neighbour the worthy thane suin in order that you may see how the matter should go and then afterwards i will question you yourself and taking a parchment from a junior he began here is what suin told us rex tenet in dominio sohurst de firma regis eduardi fuit tunc se defendebat pro septendesin hidis nihil geldaverunt terra est sedesim carucatai in dominio sunt duai carucatai et viginti et quatuor vilani et desembodarij conviginti carucis ibi ecclesia quam velemus tenet de regge cum dimidia hida in elemosina silva quadragenta porcorum et ipsa est in parco regis but hardly had my friend got so far as this in displaying the domesticity of suin the thane when there broke a loud uproar from the rear of vorward and the tripping latin came to a sudden halt as there emerged in sight a rabble of saxon peasants and norman prickers freely exchanging buffets in the midst of them was our bailiff a very stalwart fellow hauling along and beating as he came a luckless soldier in the foreign garb just then so detestable to our eyes why i said what may all this be about what has the fellow done sven 
that your saxon cudgel makes such friends with his norman cape what why the graceless yonker not content with bursting open the buttery door and setting all those scullion men at arms drinking my lady's ale and rioting among her stores must needs harry the maidens scaring them out of their wits and putting the whole place in an uproar as i am an honest man there has been more good ale spilt this half hour more pottery broken more linen torn more roasts upset more maids set screaming than since the danes last came round this way and pillaged us from roof to cellar why you fat saxon porker cried the leader of the troops pushing to the front what are you good for but for pillage drunken serf and it were not for the politic heart of yonder king i and mine would make you and yours sigh again for your danish ravishers looking back from our mastery to their red fury with sickly longing out on you unhand the youth or by saint bridget there will be a fat carcass for your crows to peck at and he put his hand upon his dagger thereon i stepped between them and touching my jewelled belt said fair sir i think the youth has had no less than his deserts and as for the vorward crows they like norman carrion even better than saxon flesh the soldier frowned as well as he might at my retort but before we could draw as assuredly we would have done the monk pushed in between us and the athelings of the commission who had orders to carry out their work with peace and dispatch as long as that were possible quieted their unruly rabble and presently a muttering surly order was restored between the glowering crowds now said the scribe propitiatingly anxious to get through with his task you have heard how amiably suin answered of you i will ask a question or two in saxon since likely enough you do not know the blessed latin by the soul of hengist though i knew it before the stones of that confessor's ancient monastery were hewn from their native rock answer truly and all shall be well with you first then how much land hast thou but i could not stand it my spleen was roused against these braggart bullies and throwing discretion to the wind i burst out just so much as serves to keep me and mine in summer and winter and how many ploughs so many as need to till our cornlands rude boar said the monk backing off into the group of his friends and frowning from that vantage in his turn how many serfs acknowledge your surly leadership just so many i said boiling over as can work the ploughs and reap the corn and keep the land from greedy foreign clutches there put up your scroll and be gone i will not answer you i will not say how many pigeons there are in our dovecots how many fowls roost upon their perches how many earthen pots we have or how many maids to scrub them get you back to the conqueror tell him i deride and laugh at him for the second time say i have lived a longish life and i never yet saw the light of that day when i profited by humility say i the swart stranger who stabbed his ruffian courtier and galloped away with the white maid editha of vorwood i who plucked that flower from the very saddle-bow of his favourite and thundered derisive through his first camp there on the eastern downs say even i will find a way to keep and wear her in scorn of all that he can do out with you be gone and they went for i was clearly in no mood to be dallied with while behind me the serfs and vassals were now mustering strongly an angry array armed with such weapons as they could snatch up in their haste 
and wanting but a word or look to fall upon the little band of assessors and slay them as they stood thus we won that hour and many a long day had we to regret the victory my luck was against me that time i hoped so far as there was any hope or reason in my thoughtless anger to have had a space to rouse the neighbouring thanes and their vassals upon these our tyrants and i had dreamt so combustible was the country just then somehow perhaps the flame would have spread far and wide i saw that abominable thing rebellion for once linked hand in hand with her sweet rival patriotism i saw the red flames of vengeance in the quarrel i had made my own sweeping through the land and lapping up with its hundred tongues every evidence of the spoilers yes and even i had fancied that and there were no true saxon princes for our english throne there was still editha my wife and if there were no swords left to fence a throne so filled yet there was the sword of fra the phoenician vain fantasy the faces of the fates were averted those hateful inquisitors had not gone many hours journey northward when as ill luck would have it they fell in with a norman captain godfrey de boville and two hundred men-at-arms marching to garrison a western city to these they told their tale and ever ready for pillage and bloodshed the band halted and then turned into the woodlands where we had our lair the sun was low that afternoon when an affrighted herdsman came running into me with the news that he knew not how many soldiers were in the glades beyond and before he could get his breath or quite tell his hasty message their prickers came out of the wood the gallant norman array whose glitter has since grown dearer to me than the shine of a mistress's eyes rode from under our oak trees the banners and bannerets fluttered upon the evening wind their trumpets brayed until our very rafters echoed to that warlike sound the level twilight rays flashed back from those serried ranks and the steel panoply of the warriors in as goodly a martial show as ever to that day i had seen what need i tell you of the negotiations which followed while this silver cloud charged with ruin and cruelty hung on the dusky velvet side of the twilight hill above us what need be said of how i swore between my teeth at the chance which had brought this swarm hither in a day rather than in the week i had hoped for or how my heart burned with smothered anger and pride when we had to tamely answer their haughty summons to unconditional surrender yet by one saving clause they did not attack us at once only to me was it clear how utterly impossible was it with the few rugged serfs at my command to defend even for one single onset that great straggling house against their overwhelming force to them our strength was quite unknown this and the gathering darkness tempted the norman to put off the attack until the daylight came again and the respite was our saving it was not a saving upon which i wished to dwell long for twas no more glorious than the retreat of a wolf from his hiding-place when the shepherds fire the brake behind him all along the edge of the hill their watch-fires presently twinkled out and as editha and sven the strong came to me in gloomy conference upon the turret we could see the soldiers pass now and again before the blaze we could hear their laughter and the snatches of their drinking song the hoarse cry of the wardens and the champing and whinny of the chargers picketed under the starlight in lines upon our free saxon turf and for sven and all his good comrade hinds 
we knew to-morrow would bring the riveting of new and heavier collars than any they had worn as yet for me and my contumacy though i feared it not there could be naught but the swift absolution of a norman sword while for her for her that gentle stately lady to whose pale sweetness my rough unworthy pen can do no sort of justice there was nameless degradation and half a wandering bully's tent the serf suggested with his rugged northern valour we should set light to the hall and with the women and children in our midst sally out and cut away to freedom and i knew the path he would choose would have been through the hostile camp but his lady suggested better she proposed both hind and bondsman should steal away in the darkness and since valour here was hopeless disperse over the countryside and there secure in their humbleness await our future returning we on the other hand would follow them through the friendly shadows that lay deep and nigh to the house on the unguarded side and then turn us to a monastery some few miles away where if we could reach it in sanctuary and the care of one of the few remaining saxon abbots we might bide our chance or at least make terms with our conquerors so it was settled and soon i had all those kind shaggy villains in the dining-hall standing there uncapped upon the rushes in the torchlight and listening in melancholy silence to the plan and then presently with the dispatch our situation needed they were slipping in twos and threes out of the little rearward portal and slinking off to the thickets presently our turn came and as i stood gloomy and stern in that voiceless empty hall that was wont to be so bright and noisy fingering my itching dagger and scowling out of the lattice upon the red gleam in the night air hanging over the norman campfires there came the fall of my wife's feet upon the stairway in either hand she had a babe swaddled close up against the night air and naught but their bright wonder-brimming eyes showing as she hugged them tight against her sides for them for them alone the frown gave way and i stooped to that escape we crept away and editha's heart was torn at leaving thus the hall where she had been born and reared and when presently in the shadows of the crowded oaks she found all her slaves and bondsmen in a knot to wish her farewell the tears that had been brooding long overflowed unrestrainedly even i who had dwelt among them but a space on my way from the further world of history towards the unknown future could not but be moved by their uncouth love and loyalty there were men there who had stood in arms with her father when the cruel danes had ravished these valleys for a score of miles inland and some who had grown with her in the goodly love and faith of thane and servitor as long as she herself had lived these rugged fellows wept like children called me father clafford bread bestower and pressed upon her in silent sorrow kissing her hands and the hem of her robe and taking the little ones from her arms and pressing their rude unshaven faces to their rosebud cheeks until i feared that girth or agatha might cry out or some wail from that secret scene of sorrow would catch the ears of our watchful foeman so as gently as might be i parted the weeping mistress and her bondsman and set her upon a good horse sven had stolen from the paddock and springing into the saddle of my own strong charger gave my broad jewelled belt to the saxon that he might divide it among his comrades and taking a long tough spear from his faithful hand 
turned northward with editha upon our dangerous journey we stole along as quietly as might be for some distance in safety riding where the moss was deepest and the shadows thick and then just when we were at the nearest to the norman camp in the curve we were making towards the monastery beyond those ill-conditioned invaders set up their evening trumpet call as the shrill notes came down into the dim starlight glade strong clear and martial in the evening quiet they thrilled that gallant old charger i had borrowed from the camp at hastings down to his inmost warlike fibre he recognised the familiar sound mayhap it was the very trumpet call which had been fodder and stable to him for years and with ears pricked forward and feet that beat the dewy turf in union to his pleasure he whinnied loud and long nothing it availed me to smite my hand upon my breast at this deadly betrayal or lay a warning finger upon his brave unwitting velvet nozzle luckless accursed horse the mischief was done but yet i will not abuse him for the grass grows green over his strong sleek limbs and right well that night he amended his error hardly had his neigh gone into the stillness when the chargers in the camp answered it and in a moment the men-at-arms and squires by the nearest fire were all on foot and in another they had espied us and set up a shout that woke the ready camp in a moment there was small time to think i clapped my hand upon editha's bridle rein and gave my own a shake and away we went across the chequered moonlight glade but so close had we been that a bowstring or two hummed in the norman tents and before we were fairly started i heard the rustle of the shafts in the leaves overhead it was more than arrows we had to dread and turning my head for a moment ere we plunged again into the dark vistas of the forest road there sure enough was the pursuit streaming out after us and gallant squires and knights tumbling into their saddles and shouting and cheering as they came galloping and glittering down behind us a very pretty show but a dangerous one by the souls of st dunstan and his forty monks but i could have enjoyed that midnight ride had it not been for the pale brave rider at my side and the little ones that lay fearfully a-nestling on our saddle-bows for hours the swift keen gallop of our horses swallowed the unseen ground in tireless rhythm all through the night field and coppice and hangar swept by us as we passed from glade to glade and woodland to woodland now it was a lonely forester's hut that shone for a moment in ghostly whiteness between the tree-stems with the nightshine on its lifeless face and anon we sped through droves of saxon swine sleeping upon the roadway under their oak-trees round a muffled swineherd and the great forest stags stayed the fraying of their antlers against the tree-trunks in the dark coppices as we flew by and the startled wolf yelped and snarled upon our path as our fleeting shadows o'ertook him and then there ever behind low remorseless stern came the murmuring hoof-beats of our pursuers now rising and now falling upon the light breath of the night wind but ever as our panting steeds strode shorter and shorter coming nearer and nearer clearer and clearer had this sombre race whereof death held the stakes continued so as it began straight on end i do not think we could have got away but when we had ridden many an hour and the heavy streaks of white foam were marking editha's horse with dreadful suggestion 
and his breath was coming hot and husky through his wide red nostrils for a moment or two the sound of the pursuers stopped blessed respite they had missed the woodland road but for all too short a space we had hardly made good four or five hundred yards of advantage when terribly near to us sounded the call of one of their horsemen and soon all the others were in his footsteps again this one he who now led the pursuers by perhaps a quarter of a mile gained on us stride by stride until i could stand the thud of his horse-hoofs on the turf behind no more here i said fiercely to editha take girth and put him with his sister in her arms then bidding them ride slowly forward turned my good charger and paced him slowly back towards the oncoming knight with stern anger smouldering in my heart there was a smooth wide bit of grassy road between us in that centre midnight saxon forest and never a gleam of light fell upon that ancient thoroughfare never the faintest thin white finger of a star pierced the black canopy of boughs overhead it was as black as the kennel of cerberus and as i sat my panting war-horse i could not see my own hands stretched out before me yet there in that grim blackness i met the norman lance to lance and sent his spirit whirling into the outer space i let him come within two hundred yards then suddenly rose in my stirrups and shouting harold's war-cry since i did not deign to fall upon him unawares out out england england awaited his answer it came in a moment strange and inhuman in the black stillness ro arro notre dame and then muttering between my tight-set teeth that surely that road was the road to hell for one of us i bent my head down almost to my horse's ears drove the spurs into him and gripping my long keen spear thundered back upon my unseen foeman with a shock that startled the browsing hinds a mile away we were together the norman spear broke into splinters athwart my body but mine more truly held struck him fair and full i felt him like a great dead weight upon it i felt his saddle girths burst and fly and then as my own strong haft bent like a willow wand and snapped close by my hand that midnight rider and his visionary steed went crashing to the ground bitterly i laughed as i turned my horse northwards once more and from a black cavern mouth on the hillside an owl echoed my grim merriment with ghastly glee well the night was all but done yet we were not out of the toils a little further on editha's floundering steed gave out and just as we saw the pale turrets of the monastery shining in the open a mile ahead of us the horse rolled over dead upon the grass and bracken quick quick i said daughter of hardy canute and the good saxon girl had passed the little ones to the pummel and put her own foot upon my toe and sprang on to my saddle crupper sooner than it takes to tell ah and the nearer we came to our goal the closer seemed to be the throb and beat of the pursuing hoofs behind and many an anxious time did i turn my head to watch the rogues closing with us now ever and anon in sight and many a word of encouragement did i whisper to the gallant charger whose tireless courage was standing us in such good case noble beast right well had he atoned his mistake that evening and in a few minutes more we left the greenwood 
and now he swept us over the abbot's fat meadows where the white morning mist was lying ghostly in wreaths and wisps upon the tall wet grass and then we staggered into the fosse and spurned the short turf and so passed the chequered cloisters and pulled up finally at a low postern door i had espied as we approached the nearest wall of the noble saxon monastery surely never was a traveller in such a hurry to be admitted as i and i beat upon that iron-studded door with the knob of my dagger in a way which must have been heard in every cell of that sacred pile my friend said a reverend head which soon appeared at a little window above is this not unseemly haste at such an hour and my lord abbot not yet risen to matins for the love of heaven father i said come down and let us in for by this time the normans were not a bowshot away and it still looked as if we might fall into their hands why said the unwotting monk no doubt the hospitality of st olaf's walls was never yet refused to weary strangers but you must go round to the lodge and rouse the porter there truly he sleeps a little heavy but no doubt he will admit you eventually sir priest i shouted in my rage and fear as the good old fellow went meandering on our need is past all nicety of etiquette here is editha of vorwood the niece of your holy abbot himself and yonder are they who would hurry and take her come down come down or by the holy rood our blood will for ever stain your ungenerous lintel by this time the horsemen were breasting the smooth green glacis that led up to the monastery walls half a dozen of them had outlived that wild race the reins were upon their smoking chargers necks their reeking spurs red and ruddy with their haste the spattered clay and loam of many a woodland rivulet chequering their horses to the shoulders and each rider as he came shouting and clapping his hands upon the foam-speckled neck of these panting steeds that strained with thundering feet to the last hundred yards of green sward and the prize beyond nearer and nearer they came and my fair tall saxon wife put down her little ones by the opening of the door and covered them with her skirt as she turned her pale white tearless face to the primrose flush of the morning and i with bitterness and despair in my heart unsheathed my saxon sword and cast the scabbard fiercely to the ground and stood out before them my bare and heaving breast a fair target for those glistening oncoming norman lances and then just when that game was all but lost there came the sweet patter of sandalled feet within bolt by bolt was drawn back willing hands were stretched out the mother and her babes were dragged from the steps even my charger was swallowed by the friendly shelter and i myself was pulled back lastly the postern slammed to and as the great locks turned again and the iron bars fell into their stony sockets we heard the norman charger's hoofs ringing on the flagstones and the angry spearheads rattling on the outer studs of that friendly oaken doorway thus was the gentle franklin saved but little did i think in saving her how long i was to lose her i had but stabled my noble beast down by the abbot's own palfrey and fed and watered him with loving gratitude and then had gone to editha and my own supper waited on by many a wondering kindly one of those corded russet brothers when that strange fate of mine overtook me once again i know not how it was but all on a sudden 
the world melted away into a shadowy fantasy my head sank upon the supper-board and there between the goodly abbot and the fair saxon lady i fell into a pleasant dreamless sleep End of chapter 7